0: Okay, uh, you've been having a whole series of questions, you've been asking and answering, and today you come to a really easy, uncontroversial one, (laughs) um, which is, is God anti-gay? I mean, that doesn't cause problems, does it? That hasn't split churches, that hasn't uh, ruptured so many relationships in our society today. It's one of the biggest questions, isn't it? And you might be a Christian here today who's asked that question. You might be somebody who's not yet a Christian who's asking that question. It is one of the most interesting theological questions around. But I guess there's a danger in some of us thinking this is just an interesting theological question. Many of us, go of course, know that this is a really personal question. Is God anti-gay? is isn't about people out there. It's about people we know and love. For some of us here, is God anti-gay? Is a question that you might put like this. Is God anti-me? Is God anti-me? Because I'm somebody that would be described as gay. I might be somebody who describes themselves as gay. If this is a personal question for you, let me uh, tell you that this is a personal question for me. I've often asked myself, is God anti-me? Because I'm somebody who the world would label as gay. I'm somebody who's experienced same-sex attraction ever since sexual feelings first came on board as a teenager. As my friends were starting to fall in love with some people of the opposite sex, I found myself uh, starting to fall in love with some of them, and it felt really natural. I didn't make a decision one morning that it would be much easier if I were gay. I just found myself attracted to some of the people I was growing up with. It didn't come uh, sort of happen because I had a bad relationship with my with my dad, or, or because of sexual abuse. It just happened to me. If you ever watched that YouTube video from the States where somebody goes around a university campus asking people when they became straight. And it turns out nobody can quite answer that question. It just felt natural to them. That's what it felt like for me when it comes to same sex attraction. When do you become same sex attracted? Well, it just happened. It felt natural to me. I found myself sexually attracted to some of the guys I was growing up with just at the same time as they were becoming sexually attracted to some of the girls that we were growing up with so when we ask this big question is god anti-gay it's it's not a it's not just an interesting question for me it's a personal question i've put in those terms is god anti-me god are you anti-me is god anti-gay now before we go any further there's one thing we probably need to do which is just establish which god we're talking about because I'm often talking to people, trying to answer this question, and they will say to me something like, well, my God's not anti-anyone. My God loves everybody. My God uh, is fully accepting of anybody, whatever they do. My God would not have any problem with any loving sexual intercourse. My God, my God, my God. Now, at one level, I love when people talk about God as if they're in a personal relationship with him, because that's what Christianity is all about. But at another level, when we just talk about a God who in the end sounds like us and thinks like us and would never say anything we or any of our friends would disagree with, we've ended up constructing a God in our own image. And that's got problems, is not it? Because that God never ends up saying anything that we might disagree with. Never ends up saying anything that we might find personally hard. So which God are we talking about today? Which God are we asking the question of, is God anti-gay? Well, the God I want to be talking about is the God that we see revealed in Christianity. God the Father, who in the Old Testament reveals himself as the loving creator of the universe, as the loving creator of everything we see, as the loving creator of you, as the loving creator of me. The God we wanted to be talking about this morning is God the Son, who we meet in the New Testament, who in love redeemed this world, who hasn't just said to people like me, I love you, but has proved his love for us all by dying on the cross to gain his forgiveness for the mess we've made of this creation. This morning we're talking about God the Spirit, who in love speaks of this world through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, who in our God's word, the Bible tells us everything we need to know about everything that matters. That's the God we're turning to this morning. That's the God we want to listen to today as we seek to ask the question, is God anti-gay? He is a living reality. He is a loving reality. He is a reality who has created this world, who's created you, who's recreated me. He's a reality who's redeemed this world, who's redeemed you, who's redeemed me, if you're a Christian. He's a speaking God who has spoken to you And is speaking to us this morning, as we turn to this world to His Word. Which means we can't make Him to say or do things that we want to make or make Him do or say. He has spoken, and we might not like what He says, but He's the Creator, He's the Redeemer, and we need to listen in to Him. That's the God we're talking about. Okay, what does this God say? What does this God say about gay people? What does God say about gay people in his word, the Bible? What has he said into my life uh, today? Well, in one word, nothing. Nothing at all. There's no passage in the Bible where God addresses gay people. There's no book that that Paul writes, letter that Paul writes in the New Testament addressed to gay people saying this is what God has to say to you as you experience same-sex attraction. The category gay is not a category we find in the Bible. It's actually a category that's only been around for a a few decades in this country. Go back a, a few decades and gay was a name you might have given to your daughter. Gay was a feeling that you might have had on a Sunday afternoon as you, as you danced around a park. It was not a category that anybody thought of in sexual terms. So when we go back to God's word, we don't find something addressed particularly to gay people. We don't also find sort of the, the letter to the homosexuals. Because again, homosexuality is a new concept, go back in history, you'll first find references to it back in the 1870s. So it's not been around as a concept for long. What does God say about gay people in the Bible? At one level, nothing. Society puts me into a sexual minority group which has to, as it were, be treated in a totally different way to other people often. The God who speaks in his words treats me like everybody else. Doesn't discriminate against me. What he's got to say in the whole of the Bible is relevant to me. I like that. I like the fact that God doesn't discriminate against me because of my sexual orientation, doesn't treat me differently because of my sexual orientation. What does this God say about gay people all at one level? Nothing, nothing at all. Oh, but come on, Ed, you're just just playing games. He does say something, doesn't he? He does say something about gay sex. He does make it very clear that gay sex is wrong. That it's not an option for somebody who's wanting to take God's word seriously. Why, why do I say that? Well, because there are five direct references in the pages of scriptures to sexual acts between men, sexual acts between women, gay sex. Uh, we see these in, in Leviticus 18:22 and 20:13 we see this famously in Romans chapter 1 in 1 Corinthians 6 in, in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1 verses 9 uh, to, uh, to 11 famous references where God says gay sex is wrong let's hear a couple of examples let's hear an example from the old testament we read in Leviticus 20 verse 13 If a man has sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. They are to be to put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. Uh, Or let's go to, to 1 Corinthians, to Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God? Well, there's clarity, isn't there? is not its God anti-gay? Clearly. He's clearly anti-gay sex, so he must be. Makes it really nice and easy to answer that question, doesn't it? We can, we can all go home early. God says that gay sex is detestable and deserves the death penalty. That's clarity for you. That makes things crystal clear. He says that those who who do gay sex won't get into the kingdom of God. God is anti-gay. God is anti-me. Full stop. Before we all head away, (laughs) let's recognize that the God who created the world, that the God who redeemed the world, the God who speaks of this world through through the Bible says loads of things are detestable. Loads of things. Loads of sort of bog standard sins that, that all of us think are pretty normal. God says is detestable. Just listening to, to some words from Proverbs uh, chapter 6, verse 16 onwards, just to illustrate this. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are clicked to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs up conflict in a community. God says gay sex is detestable, but God says those things are detestable too. And God doesn't just say gay sex equals the death penalty. No, God actually says that all human sin, all human rebellion against God and his ways deserves the death penalty. Paul puts it like this, the wages of sin are death. Genesis chapter 3, right back at the beginning of the Bible, tells us that the consequences of us turning our back on the God who created us are death. The death penalty isn't just reserved for me. This, this language, that, 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 that what things I might want to do are detestable, isn't just, a, isn't just a gay thing. No, God says to all of humanity, to all of us here today, what you do is detestable. And what you do deserves death. Striking, isn't it? That when, God's, that when God speaks about sin, he's not targeting particular groups. It's just these people over here who are all wrong. No, God's word says to the whole of humanity, you've all got it wrong. Okay, sex is not the only behavior. 1 Corinthians 6 says we'll keep you out of his kingdom. Now that list includes things that we have all done here. All of us. All of us included on that list. So if we're to really be accurate, God is anti all sin. Any rejection of his word and ways. He does not target me. He does not target you. If you are same-sex attracted, if you are gay. He doesn't discriminate against people. He hates things all of us do so he hates the fact that i want to have sex with men but he also hates my pride he hates the fact that you are so materialistic and he hates your lies god is anti all sin gay sex is just one example of the sort of thing that he hates just one example that's something we fail to communicate isn't it The world outside thinks that the one sin we get most cross about, the one sin that God hates most of all, is gay sex. When actually God hates all sin. God cares about it all. The damage it does all people. Now, some of us are wanting to press the pause button here because this whole concept of God hating anything is just a little bit problematic for us. How can God hate? Surely God is love. How can God hate anything? Well, God does hate things in Scripture. Really, God does say, I hate behavior. I hate these things. These things are detestable. I do not like them. God is not ambiguous about sin. Which is a problematic thing for us, isn't it? Because many of us think of God as an indulgent grandfather who just smiles at us and lets us get away with anything. But what's the problem there? The problem is that we started to define love purely in terms of smiling at people. But true love does not smile at everything. True love challenges people. True love uh, challenges people to change. True love calls people out when they're doing things that are wrong that will be damaging to them and others. How do I know that my parents love me? Is it because they smile at me all the time? Well, they don't smile at me all the time. But, you know, it, would that, is that the way they communicated love? By just smiling at me, letting me do whatever I wanted? No. My parents communicated their love by loving me and by calling me out on anything they saw in my life that was wrong, that was bad for me and bad for others. How do I know that friends of mine really love me? Because at times they are willing to say, Ed, you should not have said that. You should not have done that. Do you not see the effect that that had on somebody else? Do you not see the effect that that is having on you. God is love. But true love is always going to involve hatred of things that are bad for people. True love is always going to involve calling things out that are wrong in someone's life, that are wrong in society as a whole. And so the God who truly loves us is anti-anything that is bad for us. Which includes, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 9 and 10 again, in reverse order, any swindling, slandering, drunkenness, greed, stealing, gay sex, sex with someone else's partner, idol worship, any sexual activity outside marriage. He's anti each of those things equally because they are all, in different ways, not good for you, not good for me, not good for this world we were given by God to enjoy. But there's a problem there, isn't it? in hearing that? Because those things include things we really enjoy. I enjoy being greedy. I enjoy the situations where I get out of a difficult situation by lying. It's so much easier to lie than to tell the truth. I enjoy thinking about gay sex. I enjoy those things. It is painful not to be greedy. It is painful to tell the truth. It is painful not to have gay sex. And sometimes I think because it's painful, because it makes me feel bad that God says those things are wrong, therefore God is bad. No, God is good. God is love. And in his love and goodness, he says, do not be greedy. Do not lie. Do not have gay sex. Why do I listen to him on the subject? Why do I listen to him on the subject when my feelings would say, do the opposite. Do what you want. Do what culture and society tell you. That is a massive That is a massive temptation for all of us in this particular era of sexuality at the moment is just to go with the flow of society. Why am I not going to do that? Well, society has no track record of loving me society has kept changing its mind on sexuality and will change its mind again I want, to go, I want to go to somebody who is going to give me advice who is going to tell me the truth based on a track record of loving me and who is not going to change who is always going to say the right things, the same things And wonderfully, God has proved his love for me. God has proved his love for me in history. He's proved his love for me by creating me, by redeeming me, by speaking to me. I hope in the lives of all Christians here, there are moments when there is something we really want to do but which we don't do, or, or we're struggling uh, and thinking, uh, should I, should I not do it? Because we know that God says we shouldn't do it. What helps us in that moment? What's going to empower that moment? We're knowing, knowing of God's love for us in Jesus. Trusting that the God who says, don't do that thing you really want to do, is, is right, because he has got a record of loving us and he's proved that love for us in history why do i trust what god says about gay sex when the only thing i want to do is have sex with another man well because of the cross because in the cross jesus says i love you in a more powerful and a more beautiful way than any man ever will On the cross, God, who says to me, "Don't have gay text, is saying, "I love you," and this is how much I love you. I love how Paul puts it in Galatians two, verse twenty, how he personalizes all of this, how he lets all of this empower his life. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. The God who dies on the cross, the God who loved me, the God who gave himself for me is not anti-me. He loves me. And he loves me in deeper and more beautiful ways than anybody else ever will. Questions come up, don't they, around this whole subject. <laughs> Loads of questions. Questions. Let me just answer a couple, and then we're going to move on to some more questions that you've come up with. Okay, if all of this is true, if God is anti-gay sex, if God is saying to someone like me, you are not to, 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 to have a faithful, stable sta- sexual relationship with another man, why is that the case? This is often what we get puzzled by, isn't it? God says this thing, don't have gay sex. Why, God? Why are you saying that? Why are you anti-gay sex? Why do we struggle with that question? Well, because in our society today, what does sex become? What does marriage become? Well, they've just become, they've just become sort of the, the things that you do when you want to express a, a sort of lifelong commitment to somebody for a period of time and enjoy pleasure in the meantime. That's what they've become, isn't it? And when they've become that, of course it makes no sense to say to a gay couple, you can't have sex, if that is what we're talking about. But in thinking like that, what we fail to do is recognize and realize why we have this thing called sex in creation. Why God has given us the gift of sex, of marriage, of of, of sexual activity within marriage, the marriage of a man and woman. Three things that the Bible teaches us about sex and marriage that we've lost sight of today. First of all, that it is a union, but it's not just a union of two people who like each other. No, it's meant to be a union of two people who are differently designed and who experience different bodies in different ways, with sex expressing that union physically and emotionally. It's meant to be a union of difference. Look at the very first wedding, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. It's meant to be the union in difference of a man and a woman. It's meant to be a union in a difference that that causes sort of tension. It's meant to be a union in difference that that, that, that that is quite tricky, but which points people to God's love and forgiveness. It's a union. It's also meant to be a potential. The whole point of, of, of human beings being created male and female in the very first place is, if you turn to Genesis 1.27, what happens next? The command to go and fill this world, to have children, and the potential for having children is at the heart of what marriage is about from a Christian perspective. Now, of course, there are some heterosexual couples that cannot have children, but one of the problematic things about a same-sex marriage from a Christian worldview, from a biblical perspective, is that there is not the potential from children within these two guys, within these two women. That helps us make sense of why gay sex is not right from a Christian perspective. But most of all, what we fail to see is that sex and marriage are meant to be a model. A model of where this world is heading. A model of the ultimate union in difference of jesus god's son to all christians god's church turns out the whole of history is just god's people walking down the aisle to get married to god's son jesus That, that that's where this world is heading if you want to know where this world is heading it's heading to a marriage between jesus and his church between jesus and his bride revelation 19 to 21 if you want to see the details and the union difference is really important in that model because Jesus is different to his church. And the reason that, 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 that gay sex is problematic from a Christian point of view is there isn't that difference. And it begins to destroy that God-given model of where this world is heading, of what history is all about. When we go to the cinema, we watch trailers, don't we? And I don't know if you've noticed how so often in a trailer There's sex. Why is there sex in a trailer? Well, because the directors of the films know that sex makes us want to go to the film. Why do we have sex? Why do we have marriage in creation? Well, God's put it there to make us want to be part of the new creation, to make us want to experience the, the joy of, as Christ's church, as Christ's bride, the joy of being united to Jesus Christ, God's son forever. What what you're going to when you go to a wedding is is not just another wedding. I've been to a hundred over the last sort of 20 years. What you're going to is a wonderfully acted out picture of where this world is heading. It's a trailer, it's a model. That's why. That's why God is anti-gay sex. Not because he's out to ruin people's lives, but because he wants to use sex and marriage to point us to where the world's heading. That's what it's most of all all about. But doesn't God's ban on gay sex consign someone like me to a life of loneliness? Am I just going to die alone in a miserable way because God has asked me to do this? Well, yes, if we think, if we really think that sex is the only route to the intimacy that we all need to thrive. Now, I know loads of people think that, don't they? That is the narrative of this society that we all need to be in a sexual relationship, that we all need to find our other half to live life to the full, to enjoy life to the full. And if we don't, to be honest, probably not worth living anymore. Never put that starkly, but that is, that, 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 that's the story we're so often told, isn't it? Inside the church and outside the church. But sex isn't the only route to intimacy. In fact, it often gets in the way of intimacy. Intimacy. I might not experience the joy of sex, but I can and do enjoy intimacy with God, intimacy with family, intimacy with friends. In fact, most of the loneliest people I've met in this life are those who have invested everything in a sexual relationship, those who think they have discovered their other half and think that in their other half they have all that they need. Most of the people I've found who enjoy life on this planet are those who, married or single, are at the, the center of a whole network of different intimate relationships that provide them with the intimacy they do need to live life to the full on this planet. So when God says to any of us, single, uh, gay, whatever category we might put ourselves in, when God says to any of us, you are not to have sex, he is not in the business of mucking up our lives. He is not in the business of cutting off The way to live life to the full, of cutting off the route to intimacy. No, you can experience, you can enjoy intimacy in a whole host of different contexts. And he's also he's also not asking me to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. One of the things that's most helpful to me as somebody who God is asking to be single, as somebody who God is saying should not have sex, one of the things that most helps me is that Jesus was willing to do both those things. That Jesus was willing to be single. That Jesus was willing to not have sex. And that the Jesus who did that was a human being like me who would have experienced the power of sexual temptations, who knew what it's like to want to have sex, and yet didn't. The Jesus who asked me to do these things, the Jesus who says sex is for marriage between a man and a woman, is a Jesus who didn't just say that, he lived that. In asking me to follow his example, Jesus is leading me into countercultural ways to enjoy life to the full, like he did. I've just been asked to live the Jesus way. In Jesus, I don't just have a saviour who has given his life for me, which would be pretty good just by itself, wouldn't it? but I have a Jesus who has given me an example of how to do that and I have a Jesus who knows what it's like to do that who can say to me when I find it really hard who can say to me when I experience sexual temptation I know exactly how you feel I know what it's like I'm with you so often when I ask myself that question, is God anti-gay when I ask myself that question, is God anti-me the person I'm led to most of all is Jesus Christ And I see his arms spread out for me on the cross. But I also feel and know his presence in the here and now. Know whatever he has asked me to do, he is with me. He has been there. He has done that. And he will be with me as I seek to live for him. Which means if you're a Christian, they're struggling with all of this personally. Jesus is the person you need to turn to for help. Jesus is the example you need to follow. Which means if you're here and you're not a believer and you're thinking, how do I make sense of this? How could anybody be crazy enough to do this? You need to look at the person of Jesus and how crazy he was and how crazy he was to do this. All out of love for you. All out of love for me. Let me pray. Let's pray. Father God, we pray for your help in all of this. We thank you that you are not, you are not a discriminatory God. He sings out anybody, but you are a God. who says to all of us, in your love for all of us, there are things that you have got wrong. There are things that you need to change. There are things that are bad for you. There are things you need to avoid. We thank you that you're a God who created us. We thank you that you're a God who redeemed us. We thank you that you're a God who speaks to us. And we thank you that in a world with so many confusing messages in this whole era, we have somebody we can turn to and ask you for help. Somebody who speaks with clarity. But also somebody who has, who has walked all this himself and who offers to walk alongside each one of us today. Praise you for that.
1: In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much, Ed. Thank you for your vulnerability and your faithfulness to God's Word and for reminding us that God isn't anti-me or against us, but is very much anti-sinful behaviour and, and wanting the best for us. We've been uh, asking Bristol their questions and... Ed, you've done such a brilliant job. You've anticipated so many questions. Um, but Ed has very kindly agreed to answer some questions that we've had in, submitted maybe by you or maybe work colleagues or friends or people you've met on the street. And so we're just going to work our way through these and we'll get through as many as we can in the time remaining. And then if we have time, we might open it up as well. Um, I haven't tried to vet these questions. These are the questions as they've come in. So, first one. Is there such a thing as a soulmate? And I guess if I can read into that question, it, you know, that, this thing of, you know, have you found that one person? Whether it's uh, the one person of the opposite sex or, or of the same sex. Uh, what do you think of that?
0: Well, at one level, I don't want to sort of deny the extent, there are some people that talk about finding their soulmates. Um, and talk about finding, you know, the one perfect person that completes them, um, and you know that has been that has been enough of experience for some people that they've invented that term soulmates, and they send us all on the search for our own soulmates. Um, my question to somebody who would say I found my soulmates uh, would be, you know, are you would be you know in a sort of gentle way, are you really saying you are finding the one person? that perfectly completes you. Um, and I suspect that most people under that gentle interrogation would probably admit that the person isn't as perfect as perhaps they thought, and actually they do need other people in their life, and this person isn't the only person who's going to help them live life to the full. Um, and, you know, often, I just want to you know, so because of that, I want to say that the, sort of the search for the one perfect person who's going to meet our needs is, is, is always going to be a disappointing search. Unless we're talking about Jesus Christ. And I don't want to be sitting here, Jesus is my soulmate, sounds a little naff. But it is actually true. You know, who, who completely understands me actually better than I know myself? Jesus. And the problem is, if I found somebody who was my soulmate, my big worry would be, okay, you know a certain amount about me, but you don't know about everything about me. How long are you going to stick with me when you discover things that you don't yet know about me? what i love about jesus is that he knows everything about me already and he still loves me and he knows things about me which i don't know about me and he he knows that some of the things i think are good about me aren't actually that good after all and some of the things that bad about me are slightly better than i thought he knows me completely And, and that actually is is the basis for a solid and a lasting relationship other not
1: that's fantastic um I think you've you've answered this, but I'll, I'll ask the question, and you, there may be some things you want to add. If sex is from God, why are we not allowed to have it? And I guess what the person is meaning is, why can't we just have sex when we want it? What what's the issue with uh, marriage, uh, etc.?
0: Well, you know, what it what is sex in a big biblical picture it's just a foretaste of the new heaven, new earth, um, which means that. If we have it and we enjoying it in the ways that God uh, said we can have it, enjoy it the way that it's so good for us and good for others, and you know that's a good experience. It's just a foretaste. Don't get too carried away with it. It's just a foretaste. If we we have had it and we've been disappointed by it, or we never have it um, and we feel a little bit left out, it's just a foretaste. Don't worry. If it's been a bad experience, it's just a foretaste. Don't worry. If you never experience it, it's just a foretaste. The real thing's coming. So when God says to me, you can't have sex, he's not saying, well, that's a whole area of life that, you know, you're never going to sort of, you know, experience some of those emotions. No, you're just never going to experience
1: the foretaste. The real thing's coming. That's great. I'm going to add in my own question because I have this privilege. Of, <laughs> um, why, why do you think in churches we haven't spoken about these kind of issues enough?
0: Oh, I mean, I mean, sometimes we're English. You know, we just don't like talking about these things. Uh, sometimes because we're self-righteous yeah. and we want to pretend that some of us got everything right in this area. Um, sometimes uh, because we're just ashamed of our bodies and what we've done sexually, and therefore there's this, this is a conspiracy of silence because if you don't ask me questions, I won't ask you questions, and we can all pretend we're perfect. Um, you know, those are the sort of things. Um, and it's because we stop reading our Bibles You know, sometimes we just, you know, we we, we stop reading to the end of the Bible and discovering a wedding there. We stop reading the beginning of the Bible and discover there's a wedding there. And those two weddings, Adam and Eve's wedding and the wedding at the end between Christ and his church are, you know, two defining moments of human history that have a massive impact on us today. Um,
1: And, you know, yeah, we just stop reading our Bibles. Superb. Are, uh, Are we in control of who and how we love? I think you've addressed this, but... No, 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 I mean, I think we're, we're basically,
0: we, we're all wired, we're all wired, aren't we, to be attracted to d- particular people. You know, we talk, don't we, in conversation about, oh, they're not my type, they are my type, you know, whether we're, wherever we are along a, on a spectrum of sexuality, and, and why we're wired to be, you know, there, there are situations on there in life when somebody walks in the room and you think they're drop-dead gorgeous, and another friend of yours who's got the same, you know, who's in the same category of sexuality, who's gay or straight as you, would think, what are you talking about? <laughs> Um, because we're all wired differently, and it's just worth just recognizing that, that we're all wired differently, Um, and and uh, on why that's the case, who knows, but we are, Um, and we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and that's part of, uh, of who we are, but it often means that the most helpful information to be sharing with other people, particularly if you're a Christian here, and you've got people who are trying to keep you accountable, is not the fact that you fancy people of the opposite sex or the same sex, but who are the sort of people you really fancy and who are the people you would um, you know, run off with at the drop of a hat? Because that's the information they really need to know if they're going to help you to, to live life for Jesus. Um, yeah, just taking do this again, and that would be an example of the sort of the level of embarrassing conversation that we should probably be up for if we do want to help each other keep sex uh, in, in the context that God asks us to keep it in.
1: That's excellent. A broader question, just in terms of what's going on in culture and society, would you have any comments on the kind of Me Too uh, campaign that's going on at the moment, or equal pay, things like that?
0: Well, I mean, Me Too shows, doesn't it, the horrific consequences of the sexual revolution, Um, And, you know, the sexual revolution, particularly for women, was supposed to empower them and protect them in ways they had not been empowered or protected in the past. And instead, it's created a culture in which, yet again, women have been abused by men. And we just want to, you know, we want to sort of call out, you know, the Me Too moment exposes something massively wrong in the hearts, particularly of men in society today. Um, so we want to be uh, empathizing and showing love and understanding to people who would say, you know, I, have too, I too have been the victim. But what's been missing in the Me Too movement are men standing up and saying, hashtag Me too, I have also been somebody that's damaged women, women and other people by the use of my body and my sexuality. And there hasn't been enough corporate confession in society or within churches that actually um, we have both being damaged but i've also been the people that have caused the damage and that's what really saddens me is that there's a lot of people going around who have been damaged and who are at great cost speaking openly and honestly about that there are not enough people who have done the damage and and not enough people who are saying you know i need to repent of that and speaking openly and honestly about the way that they have damaged other people and i think that's one of the ways in which the church can take the lead In caring for people who have been damaged, but also in admitting that so often we have caused the damage ourselves, and we need to turn and repent, and boy, do we need help from outside ourselves and outside the society to bring healing and to bring hope.
1: Fantastic. One more question. Is that okay? Um, How can the church be more welcoming to everyone yet still teach the whole of the Bible? You did touch on this in, in what you said, but just unpack that a little more for us.
0: Well, by pointing out that God, you know, that God does not discriminate. I mean, that's probably what I was trying to do, is, is actually, you know, is make sure that all of us feel convicted by what God says about sin, and what God says about how we use our bodies, and what God says about how we use our bodies sexually. There's a lot of self-righteousness around churches. I married, um, I, I'm married, therefore I'm never going to be any guilty of any sexual sin because I'm having sex without, within marriage. No, you'll be using that good gift of sex within marriage in selfish ways, which you need to repent of. Um, and you know, we, we're, we're all guilty of it, And that, that's, that's a message that needs to come across really loudly and clearly, is that when you come into a church, uh, you know, this is a great little Tim Keller illustration, you're not coming into uh, the waiting room for a job interview, where everybody's sort of trying to look good and intimidate other people. Uh, you're coming into a doctor's waiting room where everybody's trying to look as ill as possible so that they can get in to see Doctor Jesus
1: first. <laughs> and that's what we need to do. Fantastic. Can we thank Ed for uh, speaking and answering that question? Thank you so much. Ed, thank you for, I'm sure every single one of us would feel challenged by what you've brought today, which is the purpose of God's Word, isn't it? And I feel challenged myself, so thank you so much. We don't want today to be like a one-off, right, tick, that's that issue sorted, now we can all go away. This, as Ed said, this may be a very personal issue for you. And whilst we're not going to do any kind of um, corporate response this morning, we, I did want to say that if there are things that you want to talk about, then don't just sit on them. Uh, don't, uh, don't just kind of suffer in silence if you feel like you are suffering, but speak to someone that you feel you can trust. Uh, you can speak to one of the leaders in the church. We'd be happy to talk to you or pray with you. Uh, You might want to do that this morning, or you may want to do that at some point in the future, but I I encourage you not to leave it. Uh, This would be very much a dialogue where we can seek to look to God's Word and ask His Spirit to help you in you living out your life uh, in your circumstances that you find yourself for Jesus. And so uh, we just want to say that, and we want to uh as leaders in the church we want to humbly submit that to you we will not be saying uh this is what you must do and just t- telling you off or telling you this is how you should live but very much together talking and trying to support you in you living for Jesus so uh you can do that at some point in the future Uh, If you're in a connect group, you may want to speak to the person who leads your connect group or just someone that you know or respect in the church or that you've got a good friendship with, then I really encourage you to do that. Okay, our time is up. Els, you're going to close for us, aren't you?